Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another weeknight reflecting into Scripture. Tonight is about uh, Scripture in particular, the readings that we will have for Mass, especially the Gospel. So we've titled tonight's Scripture for Sunday, so that we might be present to the fact of how maybe tonight's program can help us better prepare for the Mass, um, especially as we have a good 27, 28 minutes to really reflect into the richness of um, our faith as it comes out from each reading from week to week. So uh, this second Sunday of Lent, we have the opportunity to consider the Transfiguration, this uh, text that has so much meaning You know, the first week of Lent had us encountering Jesus in the wilderness, the rocky, barren, miserable place that is the desert. Uh, This second Sunday in Lent offers up another encounter with Christ, not a desert, but its geographical uh, opposite, a mountain. You know, I was reading some of Benedict XVI, his uh, first volume of Jesus of Nazareth, and he reflects into the meaning of the mountain, and I thought we can really get our um, night going with this uh, reading uh, from the back pages of Jesus of Nazareth, page 309. He says, When we inquire into the meaning of the mountain, the first point is, of course, the general background of mountain symbolism. The mountain is the place of ascent, not only outward, but also inward ascent. It is a liberation from the burden of everyday life, a breathing in of the pure air of creation. It offers a view of the broad expanse of creation and its beauty. It gives one an inner peak to stand on, an intuitive sense of the creator. So Pope Benedict offers up, I think, a beautiful image that really contrasts uh, that rocky, barren desert that place where it is very difficult to, to get that broad sense of creation, if you will. So this is the wonder of uh, the Lenten season to be able to juxtapose these um, two images and certainly how the transfiguration in the second Sunday of Lent also has us going back to maybe that place of suffering. Uh, so there's wisdom in the church in its liturgical cycle to grab hold of the transfiguration so that we might be able to see just not the opposite of the desert, but ultimately how the journey of faith itself is is a peak and valley journey. So with that, let us get into the transfiguration. Uh, Matthew 17, again, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. So if you have your Bibles out there, go ahead and pick those up. Jesus took Peter... James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. 
And Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. As I mentioned in opening, this, this text is, is loaded. You know, what, what is underneath it? You know, before we get into some of the theology behind it, uh, there stands to be uh, one overarching point that I do think needs to be drawn out. And maybe we can start with some questions with it. You know, why, why the tedium, the exhaustion, the bother in fulfilling one's duties as believers? You know, why do we see so many young people not attracted to the faith? Why is there so much dejection around us and lack of joy among believers in Christ? The occurrence of the transfiguration helps us, I think, to answer these questions. You know, what did the transfiguration mean for the three disciples who witnessed it? You know, up to the point of the transfiguration, they had known Jesus in his external appearance. Uh, a man, yes, who performed miracles, but nothing like what they saw in the transfiguration. You know, they, they were used to his uh, providence, his customs, his tone of voice, and they, they knew that. Now they know another Jesus, the true Jesus, who cannot be seen with the eyes of every day in the natural sunlight, but who is the fruit of an unexpected revelation, of a change, of a gift. For these things to change also for us, as they did for these three disciples on Tabor, something similar must happen in our lives to what happens, maybe we can say, to a young man who is falling in love. You, you've heard me speak to the analogy of relationship often because I do think it is there where we can better understand our own faith. So what happens when one falls in love? In love... The other, who before was one of many, or perhaps an unknown, all of a sudden is the only one. The only one in the world that one is interested in. Everything else, we can say, recedes and becomes part of a pale background. When we fall in love, we cannot think of anything else. It is, so to speak, a kind of transfiguration, if you will. Our beloved is seen almost as in a kind of luminous halo. Everything about that love at first sight seems beautiful. We even fail to see our beloved's defects. You know, true love, true love engenders humility. True love engenders a deep sense of, of focus in on the person. And so in that initial uh, stirring of the heart... There is this kind of oneness, if you will. Everything else kind of falls to the wayside. You know, I had a, uh, a friend who very much struggled to get out of bed to go to school. 
He was careless in his studies. He had a job that was found for him. He soon abandoned it. Then, when he fell in love with someone and, and got engaged, I found him jumping out of bed in the morning. He got a job and he embraced it. What happened? Nothing. Simply that what before <laughs> he did by constriction, now he did because of attraction. Love, we can say, as John Paul II would say it, it gives wings to one's feet. One poet once noted that every, <clears throat> everyone is attracted by the object of pleasure itself. And when we put this in the context of faith, it should lead to conviction and the pleasure of joy when we are in courtship with our beloved. You know, I can appreciate someone saying to me, yeah, but you were talking, Joe, about physical attraction. What about the spiritual element to it? Yeah. Jesus is also seen and touched, not with our eyes and hands, but of the heart and of faith. He is risen and is alive. Jesus is a concrete being, not an abstraction. So my point here is ultimately, as we talk about this, we have to appreciate the dynamic of entering into this kind of laser-like focus with Jesus Christ. This means that one must not be relaxed and waiting if you will, for Christ, waiting for that love at first sight. You know, if a boy or a girl stays shut in in his house without seeing anyone, nothing will ever happen in his life. To fall in love, one must often be with the beloved. If one is convinced or simply begins to think that perhaps to know Jesus in this different way, ultimately will come to see that it takes being with him spending time with his, his word. As one theologian put it, our Lord's uh, gospel, they are like love letters to us. There he reveals himself. There is the place where in our everyday life he is transfigured. His home is the church, and it is there where he can be found. So I emphasize this point of embracing a courtship with Jesus Christ, this in God moment, that we might better grab hold of this text because this text is about an encounter, an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ who is human and divine. And that in our own encounters with Jesus Christ, we have to be open, be open to how his divinity teaches us how to be better humans, how we essentially are given the grace and the strength to overcome our shortcomings and ultimately live a life of great conviction, ardor, zeal, and joy. Remember the aforementioned phrase that I've been dealing with here on this radio program when you talk about evangelization, the new evangelization, it is about creating a culture of encounter. Let us embrace this encounter because at its heart, this is what the transfiguration is about. That Christ selects Peter, James, and John that they might have an encounter with the divine. Let us go on top of that mountain. Let us withdraw. Let us breathe in that air. Let us get a broader sense of creation 
and and do so within her own vocation and ultimately encounter Jesus at a deeper level. Okay, that being said, there are some wonderful pieces here uh, as you begin to draw this out in the bigger picture. So let's look closely at several of Matthew's emphases, if you will, in this majestic story. You know, Matthew's account of Jesus atop this mountain draws upon motifs from the Old Testament and non-canonical Jewish apocalyptic literature that expresses the presence of, of the heavenly and the divine, right? the brilliant light, the white garments, the overshadowing cloud. We know that the high mountain has been identified with Tabor or Hormon, recalling, of course, the revelation to Moses on Mount Sinai. You'll go back into Exodus 24. We read of that. And to Elijah at the same place, 1 Kings 19. In this way, we are made to see that Christ is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Of course, as Moses and Elijah take up within themselves these two overarching biblical revelations of law and prophecy. He is the fulfillment. He is not only just the fulfillment, but he at the same time transforms. We usually speak in the uh, uh, context of promise fulfillment when you start speaking of the Old New Testament, but we must never forget that when we're talking about what Christ is fulfilling, he's also transforming it. In doing so, he calls us to share in his life and share in this transformation. Thus, we have this call to, of course, evangelize. So this is rich. Uh, what more can we say, you know, as we draw into the Old Covenant? You know, Matthew describes the face of Jesus that shone like the sun, you know, reminiscent of, of Daniel, chapter 10, 6, this brilliant light. And Jesus' clothes are white as light. Once again, imagery from the book of Daniel, where his clothes appeared snow bright. We can go on, of course, Moses, you know, we read in verse four of this, of these three tents. You know, what were these tents? These are the booths in which the Israelites lived during the Feast of Tabernacles. We see this in the Gospel of John chapter seven. The tents, uh, by the way, were meant to recall their ancestors dwelling in booths during the journey from Egypt to the promised land. Peter, in his exuberance, sees this as, as kind of a fulfillment of that. Okay. When Matthew speaks of the cloud that cast a shadow over the apostles on the mountain, this certainly also recalls the cloud that covered the meeting tent in the Old Testament, which of course indicated the Lord's presence in the midst of his people. We know this as the Shekinah cloud. This is the cloud that came to rest upon the temple in Jerusalem, also at the time of its dedication. So, yeah, once again, we have a lot of old and new imagery to play around with. And what's important for us is to see that he just doesn't fulfill this, but he transforms it. And we are called to share in this transformation. What more could we say about the face of Jesus? Here we have this face just not reflecting light, but that light is shooting forth from him and out of him. You know, John likes to use the image of light. And this is not to be seen in some sort of metaphorical sense, rather that he is the very incarnation of true light, that he is the sun, 
that possesses a fire that can light up the world. Scientists, of course, speak of another sun, of great fire, of great energy. There is a new sun, S-O-N, right? That is the giver of, of great fire, of great energy. There's great power behind Christ's light. You know, we read of Paul saying, it is no longer I living, but Christ who lives within me. This is the light that shoots forth from Paul. It is inside of him because it is Christ who lives inside of him. And Christ himself is the incarnation of all that is light. The wonderful line from Donald DeMarco as it relates to light and holiness. He says, you know, holiness is like a lighthouse. It does not send off flares or shoot off cannons to make its presence known. It just shines in the darkness. When Christ is living within us, we just shine in the darkness. Someone says to me, Joe, it is getting dark. The world seems to be getting darker each and every day. Well, okay, that's fine. We do whatever we can do, but just remember that the darker it gets out there, the brighter our light shines. The brighter our light shines. So when we start talking about the face of Jesus and this brilliant light, let us put this into context and appreciate what it means. How about the voice from heaven? The voice of God heard atop the mountain repeats, of course, the baptismal proclamation about Jesus. Now, what's interesting is there is an additional command. Listen to him. This is my son, the beloved. He enjoys my favor. Listen to him. So it is the invitation to take a distance from the noisiness of everyday life in order to immerse oneself into God's presence. Our Lord desires each and every day to hand down to us the word that penetrates our hearts, penetrates our spirits, where we can better discern good from evil, right from wrong, and essentially that our lives might be filled with doing God's will. We can only do so if we crowd out the noise and we can hear him. So Matthew's little addition here, <laughs> listen to him, is very important because this is what it's about. You've heard me say before, you know, when we talk about prayer, the word prayer comes from that word precari. It means to ask. This is a form of prayer. If we're going to ask, then we listen, right? We must obediently respond to God's will. Remember, obedience, obadire, to listen. So we are called to listen. A very important dimension to any relationship, any courtship. Because any conversation demands that listen-response dynamic. So another uh, wonderful point that Matthew wishes for us to see as he highlights this word listening and to listen. Now what about uh, Peter, uh, James, and John? 
they're the ones who are called to immerse into this moment of glory on Mount Tabor. You know, it's interesting, if you go into this, they resurface with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as their master struggles with his fate. Now, those who witness his heavenly glory must also witness his earthly agony. If the followers of Jesus wish to share his future glory, they must be prepared to participate in his suffering. This is clearly the message. And again, as I noted early on, this juxtaposition between the desert and the mountain, it's the joy and the suffering that we might begin to see how they can be interconnected. Well, first Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice in the suffering. You see, the joy comes out of knowing, knowing that you are in God's providential care. Suffering takes many shapes and many forms. When we accept them as something that God might use for his greater glory, it can spring forth something great. Wherever there is life, there must be death before it. Maybe it's something within us that we're holding on to. Maybe it's something outside of us we cannot control. But to accept it and to put it in the context of faith and inquire in our relationship with Jesus, with Jesus Christ, what is the meaning of this? We will be able to better understand. We just have to ask the question, right? And my wife and I are planting some things um, in the garden and this whole death life motif uh, ought to be really embraced in the whole uh, garden and home world, right? <laughs> For those of you who have a green thumb out there, you know what I'm talking about. Look at fall. Look at the season of autumn. The leaf must die for a new leaf to spring forth. Right? So the awesome event, certainly, of the transfiguration would serve, we can say, as a kind of reservoir of grace, consolation, and peace for the apostles and disciples of Jesus when in Jerusalem, on another hilltop, they would witness that shining face, bloodied and spat upon, those dazzling clothes torn into souvenir rags by soldiers who cast dice for them. Jesus' face did not shine radiantly on the cross. Perhaps we ask ourselves, why did God hide all the glory on Mount Tabor where no one could see? Why didn't God save it for the cross? These are necessary questions, but questions that are important nonetheless, right? We must experience both mountains, Golgotha and Tabor, in order to see the glory of God. That's the answer. Because just as Christ shows us that that ancient law <laughs> of life is that ultimately it must pass through death. We must embrace this for our own. 
So we are to look upon the transfiguration as the celebration of the presence of Christ that takes charge of everything in us and transfigures even that which disturbs us about ourselves. God penetrates those hardened, uh, we can say incredulous, even disquieting regions within us about which we really do not know what to do. That's me too. I'm raising my hand right now in the studio. (laughs) We need to pray for that grace that God would penetrate with his spirit and act upon those regions and give them his own face, his consolation, and his peace. You know, this gospel passage ends with some verses that are important. You know, if you were to go back to Matthew 17, we read that they saw no one else but Jesus alone. Here, the apostles have this interior vision of faith that has eyes only for Jesus, that they would see only Jesus. And in doing so, are given insight into how to handle all of those disquieting regions in our life. This vision disbands all fear and ultimately we can say is the beginning of new life. It inaugurates their present way of possessing and enjoying divine glory right in the midst of the world's darkness and distress. We must grab hold of that interior vision that by the grace of God, we might be given the eyes to see what it means to live in a world where there's great darkness, putting our hope, not in some political structure, but hope in God and ultimately be a bear of true light, the light that shines. And we, we, we can only do this by encountering Jesus in prayer. With that, let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World. You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at jholljmj at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours 
at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.